So let's focus on the fact that God answers prayers um, and the encouragement is for us to keep on trusting God. You know, we pray, I always say, you know, often people get mixed up with, well, why does God answer those prayers and not answer those? And, you know, your mind can kind of do, play tricks on you. And then in the end, you can talk yourself out of faith and trusting God, and then you don't pray. So God is sovereign. This is in God's hands. But He has called us, while we have breath, to pray. We pray, and we continue to pray. Some of our prayers for loved one's salvation has, you know, lasted many, many years. And I want to encourage you, guys online, we don't stop praying. All of us know folk who are either not born again or need healing or need comfort or their situations are just awful. We need to pray. That is the very first thing we can do and we should be doing. And then, of course, we ask God, how can we get involved? And we want to get involved. We can't just kind of be like the Levite and uh, the priest who walked past the man on the way to, where was it? Somewhere, <laughs> Damascus, was it? I don't know. There, that one. And uh, eventually it was a Samaritan who stopped and helped the guy that had been beaten up. We need to get involved. We get involved with prayer and we, we ask God, how do we do this? So um, this morning, as you heard, uh, we're going to do a four-part series on kingdom finances. Very important for us to understand that God has got a plan for finances. The, the scriptures are very simple in their understanding of God owns the cattle on a thousand hills. Actually, everything, the air I breathe, the body I have, the finances or the lack of whatever, it all, God owns everything. He's the possessor of heaven and earth. And then he teaches us in his words some important things. Martin Luther said this, that one of the conversions besides our hearts is our, our wallets. Our wallets need to get converted because what's in them, okay, at the moment you can see it's <laughs> what's not in them and what we hope will be in this wallet often is the motivator of our lives and is the kind of determining factor of happiness or no happiness, joy or no joy, you know, or just ease of life. Somehow we think it, ease of life is finances. And yes, it's far better having than not having. But we are to find contentment and meaning and purpose through all circumstances of life. We've got to know how to fight the systems of this world. Christ spent a lot of time looking at and helping us understand the issue of being good stewards. And we want to do that. Matthew 13, 22 is all about the seed and the sower. Uh, it, it kind of is one of those parables of Scripture or passages of Scripture that help us understand our first response to the gospel. And we know what it's like. Sometimes when the Word of God comes, like seed f fell on the, that fell on the ground and the birds ate it, it doesn't produce a harvest. The Word of God comes. I remember me receiving the message of salvation for the first time. Somebody witnessed and told me about it, and I said, rubbish. Christianity is for losers. It's for people that have got no ambition, got no spine, you know, got no aspiration in life. 
It's all about these insecure people needing something. Eventually, this insecure person found himself at the front of a local church after being witnessed to for a few times and being uh, encouraged and prayed for receiving Christ as Lord and Savior. There was a process that went on. And so it is with every bit of truth. There's a fight. The enemy is going to want to steal the truth away like the birds of the air stealing the seed. The enemy is going to want to ensure that in our hearts that there's rocks that kind of don't allow the word to grow those roots that are so essential. God's word needs to take root and produce the fruit that it should produce. The third case is this. As for what was sown among thorns, this is the one who hears the word, but the cares of this world, the pleasures of life, the deceitfulness of riches, the desires of other things enter in and choke the word, and it produces no fruit. But the seed that it falls onto good soil produces 30, 60, and 100-fold. And that good soil is we hear and we put it into practice. Remember there was one defining moment when Jesus helped us understood this battle between serving God and serving money. He said you can't serve both. You can't serve God and you can't serve money at the same time. Because both demand allegiance. Both have a set of principles. And both are going to take up your entire kind of thinking and priorities and the rest. You can't have your, your feet in both kingdoms. You can't celebrate Christ in our meetings and then walk out and go and celebrate the systems of this world and live that way and allow money to be the dictator. It's amazing how the, those that have made money write books and we who want to make money buy their books so that we can make money. But they never have a last chapter or a, you know, little addendum, you know, to state the amount of marriages broken, the amount of people that were, you know, schneid or lied to, or the amount of things that went wrong and the amount of sacrifices they made in friendships and values and the rest to get to there. I'm not saying they are all like that. We know they aren't. God does bless some people, but why do we go and listen to, if we are believers, we don't, those things should not influence us. We should find a satisfaction in God doing it God's way. And that's what kingdom finance is about, is so that the word sown in our lives would produce the fruit it should. And I do feel there is still that battle. Uh, in the kind of about 20, 30 years ago, there was a young guy that prophesied that one of the Asherah poles that we're going to have to deal with in our area it's a thing that people bow to. An Asherah pole from the Old Testament is what people bow to and served. Another God would be the thing of mammon, of finance. Mammon is the love of money. The love of money. It's not money. Money's not evil. It's the love of money that motivates our hearts to kind of change character. So this love of money, why was Joburg, why was Joburg kind of developed into a city? It's not near a coast. It's not near a major river, unless you consider that thing over there, major river. The only thing you're going to see over there is fish with, you know, three eyes, and there's toxic waste in that river, by the way. When it splashes, it makes foam. I really don't want to know what's in that river. But why did Joburg develop? Gold. And the very reason why people came here and settled is their eyes were just full of dollar signs. 
we want. And so the city of gold is based on greed and, you know, and all kinds of attitude that kind of add to that where it's just we want, we want. And they'll say, we make our money in Joburg and then we go and live in Cape Town. <laughs> you know, and so, you know, dad has to fly, you know, Monday to Friday or mom has to fly Monday to Friday and then go and enjoy their spoils in Cape Town. God has got us in Joburg because this, for me, is the influence of the country. This is where the economic heartbeat is. Actually, Joburg makes the list of top richest cities in the world, if you read the news yesterday. Cape Town and Joburg are some of the richest cities in the world. We still are some of the richest. This city influences, and we do not want to bow to the God that prevails and controls and causes families to spin out of control and lives to spin out of control. This is the kingdom. And so there's a dividing line between kingdom and the systems of this world. I will serve God and I will not give in to the systems of this world and allow mammon to rule. So this needs to be converted. And that's what we trust in God for. And at the end of this, we're gonna pray because I do believe that God wants to answer prayers. Not financial prayers only, but I want to trust God for, for folk who are trusting for healing, for deliverance. Aren't you excited we can meet us 250 again? <laughs> I'm overwhelmed. It's awesome. It really is. It's fantastic. But you know what's behind this is somehow we, we starting to come to grips with this COVID thing. It, it's interesting. COVID needs to be overcome. We need to continue to trust God. We don't need to give in to fear all the time. You know the conspiracy theories that are out there about the second, time, uh, second coming of Christ? All focuses on fear. It focuses on the devil. It focuses on what is the triple six. You know, what are the systems? Is it the vaccine? Is it this? You know, is it, some have said it's even the swab that they put down your your nose and into the back of your brain to test if you got it. Not a brain, COVID. And, you know, they're, so they're arguing about all of these things. You know who's getting the glory? The devil. The second coming of Jesus, according to Scripture, is about Jesus. Our focus should be on Him. Our focus should be anticipating Him who's going to come on a horse, who is the King of kings and the Lord of lords with a trumpet shout, a loud Kind of angels are going to be clapping and roaring and not a little baby in a manger. No, he comes to set up his rule and reign. There will be a great feast. There will be a great white throne of judgment. Our eyes should be on him, not on the enemy. And anything we need to know, God will show us and it's in his word. But if you read scripture, it focuses us on Christ. And so we should have more small talk. We should have more opinion. We should have more uh, of our understanding filled with who Jesus is and what he wants to do. And what does he want to do today is ensure that we as a church are free, free in every way to pray the prayers we should and do the things that we are called to do. Like some of our folk in Freyhat and Kenya, making a difference, teams on a daily basis, teams out in our city, us looking for opportunities to share this gospel. Very important. So we're going to look at finances in this light because we want to see God's word produce the fruit it should and not compete with another system in our hearts. It's interesting how enemies' deceit will allow this seed to kind of grow, but there will be these thorns. 
we have to overcome the thorns, the, the bushes that would compete for, for the nourishment, compete for the attention, compete for the growth. We have to ensure that these things die. I'm not going to bow my knee to God and to mammon. I'm going to destroy myself in the process and those that I love. I want to win this battle. I want to bow my knee to God. And we're going to learn over the next four weeks how we bow our knee to God in this regard. So we're going to look at Abraham this morning. We're going to read his, a bit of his story to understand the first mention of tithes in the Bible. I wonder if you've ever thought of that. There's a principle of first mentions. When it's mentioned first, it establishes a principle. Interesting that tithing is first mentioned under Abraham, not under the law. That's a, an interesting thing because most times the argument about tithing, we aren't under the law, we are free. In other words, we don't have to tithe, we can be stingy, we don't have to give, we're free. That doesn't sound like freedom to me. That sounds like a heavy case of bondage. And so we want to be free. Abraham's going to teach us that. Then we're going to look at the life of David, an amazing man of God. You know, he becomes the type of Christ. Why? Because of his worship and his obedience to Christ. Uh, and he amasses this fortune, billions of dollars, when you work it out. And you know what he does with that? He says, I want this to go towards the house of God. The heart of David is everything that I've amassed. And I know many have amassed, and we all have this kind of feeling that you'd better get a nest egg. And don't just put it in the bank, maybe a bit of Bitcoin or a mattress, you know, under the mattress. Or maybe lift a few tiles and put a little box over there and put a few coins or whatever it is over there. You know, we've all got this idea. But David amasses it to give it away. And when we look at that, the life of David and that chapter, there's incredible principles of what really owns this heart. I want it to be generosity. We're going to look at Barnabas, who showed us the grace of giving. What, what an example Barnabas was. You know, he, he sells his land, and then he lays it at the apostles' feet. But if you were to understand the context, Barnabas was a Levite. Levites and those of that priestly order were not allowed to own property. So Barnabas was a shrewd Levite. <laughs> he found a loophole. And the loophole is in Israel you couldn't own property, but in Cyprus you could. <laughs> so Barnabas had amassed a fortune there, and God got his heart. Some say, and we're going to look at that, uh, church history, that he was the rich young ruler whom Jesus had said, if you want to really serve me, sell everything and give it to the poor. And Barnabas was destroyed. Why? Because he had a lot of cash and a lot of stuff. And he went away weeping bitterly. That's why they say Barnabas had this radical change from Joseph to Barnabas. Because now he learned what it was to give. And do you know what? I want that to be the default for every single one of us, the grace of giving. Aren't you attracted to people that are generous? And I don't mean because <laughs> you're just waiting, but they're generous. They'll pay for the bill. Actually, it's wonderful seeing people's generosity because it displays the very nature of God. And you know what? Amongst us, God anoints some of us to be those. 
who in the body, like Barnabas at the key moment, brought money in so the church could not only survive, but it could continue with what it had been called to. It showed an example to others, and others obviously got destroyed by it because they misunderstood it. But Barnabas will teach us. And then we're going to look at the life of Isaac. Isaac and stewardship. I want Isaac's heart of keeping wells open. That, that to me is the key thing. The enemy likes to block this well up. You know what? Just bring a little trouble into your life. And now suddenly that well's blocked up. Oh, well, there goes tithing, there goes giving, there goes generosity. Because my fridge broke down. My car needs repairs, whatever. And you know, the church has also been quite guilty of, especially in this issue of tithing, of, of kind of preaching a message that if you tithe, everything's hunky-dory. If you want your washing machine never to break down, tithe. <clears throat> so in the middle of tithing, the washing machine breaks down. The washing machine talks to the dishwasher and the two of them conspire and break down together. Then that rumor leaks through to the garage and the car breaks down at the same time. And you're tithing. And so you throw Christianity out because none of that works. No, let's get back to the biblical understanding of it's all about worship. It's all about God and it's all about serving Him and it's about joy. Joy. How, and test yourself, is your attitude when you walk down to that basket? Do you hear worship music or the theme song to Jaws? <laughs> dum, 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 dum. You're thinking, there it goes, there it goes, <laughs> there it goes. <laughs> And so when you do your EFT, it's the same thing. It should be enter, hallelujah, before you think. Before you can contemplate some master plan where you can talk yourself out of what you should do. So let's look at Abraham and tithing, Genesis chapter 14. It'll come up here. Better so if you have a Bible and you can turn to it because then you can mark stuff. So this is how it goes. When Abraham heard that his kinsmen had been taken captive, he led forth these trained men born in his house, 318 of them. He had quite a household. And he went in pursuit as far as Dan, and he divided his forces against them by night. He and his servants and defeated them and pursued them to Hobah, north of Damascus. Interesting, these foreign, or these kings from other places that surrounded um, the area where he stayed and where Lot stayed, his nephew, um, they, they'd come to Sodom and Gomorrah and they'd captured Lot's family and the rest of it and took his goods and some of the kings in that area, they took their goods. So Abraham goes after them for Lot's sake. But he defeats them and then he brought back all the possessions and also brought back his kinsman, Lot, with his possessions and the woman and the people. And after, after his return from the defeat of Chedor Laoma, and the kings who were with him, the king of Sodom went out to meet him at the valley of Sheba. That is the king's valley. So the king comes to thank him, obviously. And Melchizedek, king of Salem, brought out bread and wine. He was priest of God Most High. Here is a, a, an image, a shadow, a picture of who Jesus is. And so later on, we'll see in um, Hebrews chapter 7, uh, Jesus is seen as a type of this high priest. So he's a, he's a king and he's a priest of God most high. Abraham actually defers to him. Abraham sees him as an authority. 
And this is what, what happens. And he blessed him and said, blessed be Abraham by God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. So it wasn't just Abraham who'd had this revelation of God. Others had also. And he was a priest and a king. And Abraham gave him a tenth of everything. First time tithing is mentioned. Isn't that interesting? Right over there. Why did Abraham give him it? Why couldn't it have said, and Abraham gave him a few goodies? You know? He gave him a helmet or two and a skirt or two and a bar of gold and 16 omers of wheat and whatever seers of whatever else. No, it's recorded. He gave him a tenth of everything. The word is introduced. In other words, for me, here's the law, here's before the law, here's after the law. This is before the law. There was a universal principle of tithing in the kingdom of God. That's what we get out of this passage of Scripture. And the king of Sodom said to Abraham, give me the persons, but take the goods for yourself. Just so happy that Abraham had beaten up the enemy and said, give me back my guys, you can keep the money. He already saw the generous heart of Abraham, but I love Abraham's heart. He said to the king of Sodom, I have lifted my hand to the Lord, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. You see the the repeats, God most high, possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, giving, life, everything is about God most high. So if you're sitting there, and this often happens, you sit there and something is preached. Remember the seed sown into the heart? Heart could be hard. And you look at the preacher with daggers. How dare you preach that? How dare you accuse me? I actually am not accusing you of anything. I'm reading the word of God. You've got to sort this out with God because giving, life, serving, praying, everything, ministry is about God most high. Then the clincher here, possessor of heaven and earth. In other words, we need to get this right. Does God need my money? No. He owns it already. (laughs) And all you are doing by withholding is you are destroying your own faith and your own sense of understanding of who God is. He wants to liberate us. So then he says to this king of Sodom that I would not take a thread or a sandal strap or anything that is yours, lest you should say, I have made Abraham rich. I will take nothing but what the young men have eaten and the share of the men who went with me, let Ana, Eshol, and Mamre take their share. That's it. I am taking nothing. I am going to live my life by the principles of the kingdom. Whatever doors open would be God doors. Whatever blessing comes would be God's. Whatever I need to do, whatever obligations, whatever I want to be God. I want the testimony of being my life as I am not one who made myself rich by my own means. I want my life to be a testimony of God's goodness. Why? Because if he is God most high and he's the possessor of everything. Isn't that awesome? Now, does that liberate you when it comes to our understanding of tithing? This is before. And, you know, often we get our understanding of tithing because it's been preached as a legalistic system. You shall tithe. And, you know, that kind of rings in your heart. Monday, you're kind of living under the, you know, that you shall tithe thing. No, we need to understand that it was always in God's heart. The legal system 
If you never did it, there were all kinds of, you had to kill doves and pour oil and have sacrifices to make sure that you were free. And then, you know, now you could live again. But now we're in this place of grace. So this is before the law, the law, now in this place of grace. So do you have to love God? Okay, yes, under the law it was. Love the Lord your God. And if you don't, you could die, or there were sacrifices that you had to pay. And so it was with everything. Obey your mom and dad. Nah, stoned. And it's in the Bible yesterday. <laughs> Boy, do we need our kids to understand this system. <laughs> Come on, boys and girls, let's read. We've got some good news for you. You don't obey us, zap. Stones. Nowadays, do you have to love God? Nope, not at all. So, do you love God because he says you have to love him? No, it's out of extreme thankfulness to the God who has poured out his own life to give me life. And so, that willingness to love him needs to be a grace that is in every aspect of our Christian lives. We're not under law. We're not under law to give. I'm not under law. I'm not bound by the law. It's because of the freedom I have in Christ. I want to do this his way. And so I don't give because I have to. I give because I want to. That switch in our hearts is going to be a, the destruction of those competing weeds and those competing thorn bushes. They want to choke the word and not cause the fruitfulness that should come to, from the word of God's son. It's going to destroy that. I want that for every single one of us, me included. This is a fight we all have to fight because there's always a decision to be made around this. It occupies our thoughts. You can do nothing without money. So don't tell me money's evil. I have yet to find a 200 rand note with a set of horns and a forked tail and an evil attitude. It's the love of that money that is evil, right? It's the love, the love of it. It's when it's there, it's kind of consumed. 10%, that's 20, 100, 200, take away 20 is 180, which is not equal to 200. So, uh, look next month, Father. <laughs> and so the arguing goes. So we've got to move it from have to to I want to because I love you, my Father. Isn't that awesome? That's one of the greatest ways he has given us to partake in his nature. Because now Abraham's declaring as he does that, do you know what? It doesn't matter because God's going to make me rich. He fills my stomach. He gives me a salary. He pays the bills. He's in charge. And I've got to work with him. So let's read the other passage of scripture that will help us understand this. Hebrews 7. And in verse 1 it says, For this Melchizedek, king of Salem, priest of the Most High God, met Abraham returning from the slaughter of the kings and blessed him. And to him Abraham apportioned a tenth part of everything. In other words, if there's any gain in my life, 10% automatically is God's. How's that for a beautiful attitude? Not because I have to, because this is my true act of worship. This is my honoring of God most high, who is possessor of the whole 100%, and he's saying, give it to me. And so I give it out of a willing heart. I love it. He is first by translation of his name, king of righteousness, 
And then he is also king of Salem, which is king of peace. He is without father or mother or genealogy, having neither beginning of days nor end of life, but resembling the son of God, he continues a priest forever. See how great this man was to whom Abraham, the patriarch, gave a tenth of the spoils. And, and those descendants of Levi who receive the priestly office have a commandment in the Lord to make, take tithes from the people. That is from their brothers, though these also are descended from Abraham. But this man who does not have his descent from, the, from them received tithes from Abraham and blessed him who had the promise. It is beyond dispute that the inferior is blessed by the superior. In the one case, tithes are received by mortal men, but in the other case, by one of whom it is testified that he lives. One might even say that Levi himself, who receives tithes, paid tithes through Abraham, for he was still in the loins of his ancestor when Melchizedek met him. Oh, that's a mouthful. <laughs> We've got to work through it carefully to try and understand it. So here we are now before the law because uh, Isaac hadn't even been born and then Jacob hadn't even been born. Jacob becomes Israel. Israel becomes the nation and then the legal system comes in. Okay, so this is before the law as we've already ascertained. But in Abraham's loins, in other words, Levi is hanging around there somewhere because eventually he'll be born, but he tithes already. In other words, the law tithes. So the law isn't the originator of tithes. It's prior to that. God is showing us this whole system. And so he's trying, I think the writer there, in trying to help us understand Melchizedek is a type of Christ. And that Abraham recognized this. And Abraham tithed because it's a biblical principle, frees me from this being seen just purely as a legal obligation. So let's work through some of the arguments that we could have. Some of the things, and you know, I've worked through this myself. We've had to work through it as a couple. First one, it looks like the church has enough, so I won't tithe. In other words, we add a little bit of opinion and we work it out. We look around, paint's not fading, you know, carpets look okay. Guys, jeans haven't got rips on them. Well, mine today. <laughs> David, perhaps if you see him, his jeans are always looking like they need replacing, <laughs> in our opinion, but you know, let's not get too serious. No, but we, we add some bias to it. Actually, tithing is not about that. Tithing is about a worship of God and understanding there's a principle he's given us in the kingdom, in the kingdom, so that the church can flourish. So David gives in to the house of God. Abraham gives in to the spiritual authority. And the reason why is so that the normal expenses that churches need, can they can operate with them. The salaries, the, the reaching out into other nations, the feeding of the poor, the buying of things and all that. So tithes covers part of that. It comes in for that reason. And so they, it, it's not a thing of... Well, you know, when they look like they need it, then probably that is when I'm going to tithe. You see? So that's our wrong understanding of church. Because we really are the church. And we have the privilege of giving in so that we can see what God has called us to prosper. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. We're allowed to respond anytime we want to. Okay, the next one is, I haven't been to a physical meeting under COVID 
so I haven't tithed. <laughs> in other words, it's that whole system of the delivery of a service receives payment. That's why we should do tithes at the end. If the preach and the worship went well, then we'll give accordingly, you know, or we're not going to give. Or you made me angry today, so no EFT for you guys. <laughs> you see what I mean? We, we, again, we're adding human reason to this. It's not on what's being delivered. The thing is, COVID, not COVID, meetings, no meetings, we still got to pay staff, we still got to pay elders, we still got to do what God's called us to do. And even more so, because there's more pastoring needs and so on and so on. But you see what I mean? So I want to free us up from that as well. The, the third one is tithing was an Old Testament principle, now I'm under grace. Nah, nah, nah. <laughs> and so we've seen that. It's just simply not true. And, and we've got to, I know, you know, some of the principles that preachers have preached on from tithing come from Malachi. And in Malachi, it says God will look after you. And he does look after us. And I do want his blessing. But I can't reverse that scripture and scare you into tithing. I've got to show you it's always been a principle in scripture for our freedom, for our worship of God. And so that what we do together can be sustained. And everybody said, pass the basket. <laughs> oh boy. We shouldn't need giving music and wonderful atmospheres and promises that God will make ye a hundredfold richer if ye give. We shouldn't have that. It should be from a heart of worship. You get it? Cool. Right, the last one is, it's tough going for me, so I'll withhold my tithe. You know, God understands. Okay, we're going to, with everybody's eyes closed, <laughs> who's been there? I'm going to put my hand up. I've bargained with God on many occasions. I thought, can't he see Wendy and Craig, my two kids? They're hungry. Can't he see the bank? They're hungry for my loan repayment. <laughs> can't he see my credit cards? They're like sharks in the water. They're coming to kill me. And so I'm overwhelmed. And so often there is reason to just want to meet all of those. And when we get into better days, Lord, it's amazing how we always bargain that way. When we're in better days, then we'll implement all these principles. Now, these principles were put there so that we could always be in better days. And so I want to encourage us with that. Please, please, many of us have been there. And we need to respond in grace. We need to say, forgive us, Lord, and now help us apply. Help us apply your principles and start, just start doing exactly what God has asked us to do. And so I want to end with this. Introduce kingdom into your budget right at the beginning. That's the important thing. And, and it's amazing. It is one of our first and it's our easiest areas to prove godly stewardship. You see, godly stewardship is about all of what we bring into local church. But godly steward, when it comes to this, is always such a debatable issue. You know, and, and it, it, it's kind of, you know, we, we do get quite caught up. You know, it's like everything. Abraham brought everything. Yeah, he tithed on everything. Everything, a tenth of everything. Count ten swords. The tenth sword must go to uh, Melchizedek, the 10th golden bracelet, the 10th of everything. In other words, whatever our income is, whatever profit we get, whatever is seen as that, we give a 10th. It's a proportion. 
And you know, for some of us who don't earn a lot, it seems like our two might. And we come and bring into the offering. That's it. Bring it in. You've done what God asked you to do. Oh, but what about the guy who comes in and he puts his thousand rand in? Well, he may earn 20,000 and he's in proportion not bringing the whole tithe. You know what I mean? So it's not about amount. It's about the proportion. That's what it's about. Anyway, introduce kingdom. Before I do anything with my income, the first thing I want to do is to be obedient and honor God with my tithe. When you do that, you set yourself up. It's the best way to break the stranglehold of mammon or the love of money and getting security from money because now I feel more secure if I've got it. This discipline will train us to be generous in everything. And so this helps us to be rich towards God and to live in the financial freedom that is ours. And this, as we've said, is our responsibility to local church. If this is your local church, and if this isn't your local church, you should be tithing to your local church because we bring the tithing to local church. It's one of the privileged responsibilities that we have that we share together. We all do that. We, we, we carry on. You know, we do what God has called us to do. Let's pray together.